0: We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two
1: guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering.
0: Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our
1: experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, everybody? I am Cameron. I'm Willie. And today we are by a very special guest. Aubrey is our guest hey. host today. Yay!
2: Thanks for having me, you guys. So
1: She's good back. to have you Thanks back. Thanks for
2: having me back.
1: In case you don't remember, Aubrey was here. She shared her war story, and we talked to her a lot about her own journey with addiction. Yep. And today we've asked her to come back because we liked her so much to uh, fill this guest host spot with us. Yeah, she talks well. in one of the last remaining episodes in this old studio space before we move to the new space. So, Aubrey, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. We have another amazing war story. Um, As you probably have guessed, this one came to us from Courtney. Yep. Courtney had a really, really awesome story who I think that uh, we all have probably identified with parts of her story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, And we've been
0: kind of sitting on it for a minute, by the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things she said in her story was, um, she talked about having gone to a number of treatment centers and how those all still counted towards her getting sober. And it made me think, you know, there's a lot of stepping stones to sobriety. So I think that's worth discussing today. We're going to talk about those stepping stones to sobriety. Yeah. So Willie, when I say that, what do you think of?
0: Uh, The first thing that came to mind when we were talking earlier was like how many times I got arrested. Right. (laughs) Because, I mean, they were all like, like other than the last time that I got arrested, I I had to get sober pretty much as soon as the handcuffs went on. I never, the the last time I got arrested was the only time that I ever had dope in jail. And so um, every, every one of those, I would get a little moment of clarity while i was in jail or, or in handcuffs and be like man i gotta change some stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't last long was though.
1: it ever i gotta quit or was it like i gotta stop i gotta i gotta uh, cut down oh,
0: later on yeah sure. like, like like the later arrests that after after it stopped being fun like when i was a little kid it was fun when i was a teenager you know you get that street crap yeah. cred like fucking cloud get out <laughs> For good Look back on it, and I'm like, <laughs> fuck. But, but, uh, that's how little Willie sounds. Yeah. When, you guys when, uh, when it went from, from bragging about getting arrested to just being exhausted about being arrested, you know, that, that, that dialogue with myself changed. But I think every, I think every one of them counted towards something because anytime I went in and spent time in jail, uh, my intention when I got out was to, either stay away from certain drugs like the hard drugs you know mm-hmm. i always always knew like the meth needed to, i needed to lay off the meth and the alcohol i'm just gonna smoke bud right, or i'm right. just gonna do hallucinogens or you know i'm only gonna drink beer like like i'm done with with all the hard liquor like mm-hmm. there was always an intention of some type of sobriety until later on when when finally i was like yo i gotta get fucking sober like this is insane Mm-hmm. and even though, like, even the, the later arrests, I didn't always necessarily get sober, it took what it took for me to
1: finally get this
0: extent of sobriety, but they all counted towards
1: something. Yeah, well, and they do, like, sorry, Aubrey, were you going to say something?
2: No, I just said nice. Yeah,
1: I wanted you to say something. Oh. Go.
2: Well, I was just thinking about my sobriety, and, like, my journey, and I never got arrested, and I have never relapsed, and so I related to Courtney's story in a little bit that like I had to come to the ter- come to terms with the fact that I was an addict. That was the first stepping stone. Mm-hmm. And then I had to, you know, be honest with my family about it and come to terms with the fact that I needed help with my addiction. So, there were some parts of her story that I related with and other parts that I haven't experienced in my situation.
1: Do you recall specifically like that moment where you you accepted the fact that you were an addict. Like what, what was it that, that occurred that really sort of cemented that for you? Was there any one thing or a number of things or,
2: um, I knew from the very beginning, like from the second that I took my first hit, Mm. like we talked about last time, like Mm -hmm. I was addicted right after that first hit. Um, so that was a big one. But like when I very finally said to myself in my brain, like you're an addict, um, it was shortly after I had gotten my own pipe and was using my own pipe mm. and had my own stash. It was probably about five or six months into my addiction. So that wasn't right off the bat. But the first time that I took a hit of meth was like I knew.
1: Yeah. It's funny how those 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 things can hit us so quick and we, we can sort of decide right away like, oh, this is going to be a big part of my life for a little bit, maybe yeah. a long bit. Um, but yeah, I mean... For me, like what I think of is, I had these moments where I tried to quit because I could recognize that I wasn't ready to call myself an addict or an alcoholic, but I recognized that it was coming with some consequences, right, um, and that I couldn't seem to control it. But I, you know, I used to sort of fool myself into thinking that I wasn't really trying to quit. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't taking it serious. Like if I took it serious, I could really quit, right? And, uh, so I would make these drastic measures to, to try and actually put it down and be done with it. And then, you know, finally I had one of those go South enough that I had to come clean with my family. And I think that that's, that's one of the biggest stepping stones is like starting to tell the people around us, like you said, um, that there, that there definitely is a problem. Um, and that. And that uh, you know, it seems like I can't seem to do it by myself.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, for me, the first part of that was I have a problem with pills. End of sentence, right? Like I wasn't ready to address like the alcohol or any of the other things that were also an issue. Um, but but that was a that was a big thing for me. And then I went into some counseling. And all of that, you know, was uh, crucial to me eventually getting sober, even though, you know, I didn't get sober for another two or three years. I think that it's important to recognize that these attempts are all going to count towards our eventual sobriety. And Willie, when you got sober in jail, was there ever any times where you got out and you tried to you know make an effort towards oh, staying yeah. sober or oh yeah
0: yeah there there were many vain attempts uh because it, it's just like what you were saying you know i I was what what we call it in the um uh, uh, the professional recovery setting, and maybe it's in the non professional too, but lying by omission, you know what that mm, means, yeah, you we're just know what not means? telling the whole truth yeah. like like well, you know i uh I probably drink a little too much whiskey, but the beer is probably fine. You know, I'm going to go do a roof and when I'm done with the roof, you know, and, and never really getting completely honest with myself or anyone else, obviously, uh, leads to failure. Uh, I can't i can't fake my sobriety and the the thing of it is is like i didn't really know that i had any of that going on it wasn't like i'm i'm completely lying by omission the question would come up like are, are you okay and it was always yeah i'm fine right you know, i'm right. good no i'm yeah. good you know i'm just dealing with like the breakup and fucking 9-11 and mm. you know i'm dealing with uh you know like like my employment there was always these other issues that i was dealing with right and so that seemed to be the focus like so when i would as a, as a kid having the amount of problems that they they put on me that seemed to like you have a few problems with like listening and staying in line i ended up in counselor's offices all the time and I'd be talking to them, and, and as they asked me questions, I knew that I couldn't tell them that I was smoking pot, so that never came up. I knew that I couldn't tell them that I was stealing alcohol, so that never came up. I knew that I couldn't tell them that I was smoking cigarettes or having sex or, or any of those things. So I would reach out. And to the best of my ability, find any other, any other reason why I may be having problems like, oh, my dad's a truck driver. It must be that. (laughs) And so there's no way that they could ever give me the help that I needed because, because like, uh, I wasn't willing to be honest Mm -hmm. with them. But, you know, the thing that came out of that was that I found that there's people that are sincerely trying to help, right? Like there's places that they want to put me that. May be able to give me the help or the conversation because a lot of times I I did feel better in a in a counselor's office like w- even with them just not knowing the truth and telling me that I'm not broken like that seemed to make me feel good or getting out of class and and doing well on some fucking ink blotch test or whatever <laughs> it made me feel better mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so. Uh it, like like I've said so many different times on the show like they were trying to get me sober before I was even an addict man right. they were fucking they were shoving dare and fucking all these different programs when when I wasn't even an addict yet I was still experimenting with with what was finding what was going to work for me but uh you know in all those vain attempts yeah they there was always there was always an attempt to to create the illusion that I was going to do better. Like I wanted, I didn't want my mom to worry about me, you know? And so even, even if there wasn't a sincere attempt to like get sober or clean up my life or stop gangbanging or anything like that, like
1: I wanted to be able to hide it better. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not, it, it, the drugs and alcohol are not a problem. Like the problem is that I didn't get away with, <laughs> with, with <laughs> using it or I didn't get away with any of that stuff. And, That's all just a part of denial, right? And it's like Aubrey was saying, like that first moment of acceptance is like one of the biggest stepping stones. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you mean by sincere anyway? What do you mean? Like,
0: well, your question was like, was there a sincere attempt to, you know, through all those times where I went to jail
1: and I got out, was there a sincere attempt? Well, I think that we, it's like I said, like I... I, I used to always tell myself that um, that I hadn't actually tried right, right? Yeah. like that there was not a, a serious attempt like I would make a half-hearted attempt and then the next day like oh well I didn't anticipate that I would have this issue at work so it's probably fine <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean
0: it, it was always like like i I can figure out how to do this on my own right yeah the people that love me don't need to worry about this right 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 yeah.
1: so like, the the question is like where when was the because here's the thing is like one of the things I think can play a role um, like be one of the stepping stones to eventual sobriety is a relapse but I say that and Aubrey made a really interesting point because she's never relapsed right so it doesn't have to be a stepping stone but it often is a stepping stone but I think in order for there to be a relapse there has to be an actual period of sobriety And in order to have that sobriety, you have to make an honest and sincere attempt to get sober. So it's like I may have had these moments where I was sober because I, quote unquote, tried to get sober. Right. And I did. I remember I had like a week and a half or two weeks um, clean from booze once. And I had like a whole month off of pills. And um, but I wouldn't call that sobriety right you always
2: had the intention of going back
1: yeah like i always sort of knew that like this is just how it is for now like you know like i and then eventually i like reintroduced weed and then you know that of course just well this is fine like i'm I'm doing great i seem like i'm handling this all right like i wasn't in i wasn't in this state of mind before now i'm in a healthy state of mind so let me try and introduce this stuff now that my thinking's a little more clear And, uh, and, and so when I say sincere attempt, like what I'm talking about is like actual program or, you know, um, some sort of recovery coach or, you know, some sort of sincere attempt, um, beyond just white knuckling. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I know what you're saying. So I think that, and, and here's the thing is like, they both count, right? Mm -hmm. Like my white knuckle experience. And my first, you know, foray into a treatment center, um, with some actual sobriety, um, are, are both played a role in my eventual sobriety. Yeah. So I think that, you know, when we talk about stepping stones, it's important to remember, like, I think that the biggest thing is like, I think about what it was like when I was just in the thick of it, no attempt to sober up. No attempt to change, just living in it and and really just being 100% okay with it all and sort of basking in that behavior um, as opposed to like, okay, there's an issue. And then it sort of becomes like this internal struggle, like constant sort of internal battle of like, why am I doing this? I didn't want to do this. Like I've thought I'd had enough of this and yet here I am. And then, you know, like when, when, as opposed to like, when we're in the thick of it, we get into this mindset of like recognizing that it's an issue. And then that takes us to a whole nother level of like guilt and shame and, and all those other elements that can keep us using and drinking. And so I think that there's so many different steps to sobriety that, I think the reason why I wanted to discuss this as a topic is because right now there's somebody listening who's dealing with one of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I think that it's important for them to remember that it takes what it takes and that there is never any sort of, as long as you're in this, in this place where you recognize it as a problem, I think that, that all counts towards your eventual sobriety.
2: Most definitely.
1: Does that make sense, Willie? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
0: uh, well, my thoughts are, you know, on, on that vein is one of the things I think that we find through through these things. And like you were talking about getting your own pipe and, and, and doing that. And that's when you started I like really recognizing that I am an addict, right? You were able to start saying that to yourself. Well, One of the things I think that happens is, like, I would, I would be going through, and it was obvious that I was doing drugs. Like, I was, I was the, one of those kids that had, like, a fucking pot leaf necklace, and, and like, I had the whole culture around my life w- was built around that imagery. And so if I had to go to counseling and I was doing some type of drug um, intervention course or discussion with somebody or some group or something like that, they were throwing information at me and I was taking that information in, like, okay, one of the signs that you're an addict is that maybe you're gonna start stealing for your drugs, mm. okay? And so it, early on, I'm like, ah, fuck you, man. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that shit, man. Like, I'm a gangster or or whatever. And then, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm stealing for my drugs, and and that information stuck with me. Here's, here is a a like uh, uh, logical fallacy or a thought a. Th- Uh, uh, i remember when i was in treatment it was a fucking the picture of it was this guy's fucking head and he had a chain wrapped around it with a lock right and it it was dysfunctional thinking and and i had dysfunctional thinking but i didn't think i had dysfunctional thinking Mm -hmm. and they started giving me examples of what that would look like like have you ever stole out of your mom's purse and i'm like Well, yeah, I have, but
1: (laughs) hasn't everybody, (laughs) um, it
0: it wasn't like, yeah, I mean, I ended up buying drugs with it, but that's not why I did that. And so when I would go into these places and they would give me that information, even though I didn't believe it at the time, eventually there was enough examples in my life. Like I started, you know, like, um, slipping away from my family. I started, um, isolating. I started, uh, you know, using a loan. And all these things were information given to me, even though at the time I was finding reasons why that didn't apply to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eventually, because I went to those places, those things did start applying to me. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. oh, yeah. Like, like buying my own pipe and like, um, disconnecting from my family are signs of addiction. And here I am buying my own pipe. And disconnecting from my family. Yeah.
2: Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. that answer your question? I don't, I don't know. No, it's great. I already said, ever, I know you said like buying your pipe was one of those, but do you ever remember like any of the other sort of, I mean, did you have any self attempts to quit? I don't remember about your story. Um. Like,
2: not really. I did. Like, there was a time in my story where I lost my job. Remember the giant lie I told Mm, and I lost my job. I got fired from my job. And at that point, my parents came to Logan, where I was living, and they were like, we know you're an addict, and you need to stop. And that was the very first attempt for them to be like, we know everything, Mm -hmm. and we want to get you help. And I, at that point, was still denying it to them, even though deep down I knew... Um, you
1: knew and and you probably knew that they knew, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then from that point on, like once it was out in the open that they knew still deep down, like I knew, even though I was telling them that I wasn't using anymore, that I got fired from my job and I wasn't using, I was done using. I knew what I was telling them was like a complete lie Mm -hmm. because I just continued to use. So when I lost my job, that would be like a big thing. Prior to losing my job, I did like stay away from my family. I had no contact with them really whatsoever. Um, and then after I lost my job, eventually I moved to Salt Lake to be closer to my dealer. Mm-hmm. And then once I was in Salt Lake, I became homeless. And then I started shoplifting all the time. I started showering at the Planet Fitness. Mm-hmm. I started, you know, stealing hotel breakfast because I was free. Um, and so those things that like I had always known were bad, like mm-hmm. I knew those were bad things, I knew I never wanted to be homeless. And then I ended up as a homeless person and I was like, well, this is my life now because I'm an addict and this is what I want to be for the time being. So like you were talking about, I did have that time in my story where I was like basking in the glory yeah. of, I'm a homeless addict, like mm-hmm. I live out of my truck, like it's whatever, I don't. I don't care, this is awesome, I can make a living doing this, I can be just fine. And then eventually it got to the point where I was homeless for so long and I was shoplifting all the time. And it got to the point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be living out of my truck anymore. I'm sick and tired of going to the Planet Fitness just to shower. I'm sick and tired of having to steal my food to eat. I'm sick and tired of all this. So I totally relate to what Mm -hmm. both of you are saying Mm -hmm. that I experienced those in my addiction as well.
1: Yeah, well, and it seems like those are the moments, like where, you know, like we we've said time and time again, it's a moment of clarity where it's like, okay, like what, what the fuck am I actually doing? You yeah, know, like because I for sure had those moments where you know I'm stealing from people, and and at the time, like it's so easy for me to justify this stuff. Like no, like I, fuck them. Like I need remember that time that they, you know, like did this to me. Like I, I never. I never got them back for that. So I'm going to take this money or I'm going to take this pill or I'm going to, you know, like whatever I can justify it to the fullest. And then oftentimes not long after there'll be a moment of clarity where it's like, what, what, what what in the actual fuck? Like, that's not who I want to be. That's not the kind of person I am. And I think that, you know, we can find ourselves there at different points for Willie. It took handcuffs for you. You had to be in your truck, right? Living Mm out of your truck. For me, it was like I'm late to work every day, right? Like, it takes what it takes. And, and I think that it can look different depending on um, who you are or what, what what your experience is. But I think those those moments play such a crucial role in those early days of, of sobriety that, you know, without them, it's hard to say, like, what, where, where we'd be, you know? Probably still in the mix, I guess, or dead. For me, yeah,
0: it gets it gets real painful, right? And that's kind of another stepping stone is is that that pain that we go through when the reality of what we've become kicks in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know that in in the throes of addiction, I really can identify the amount of pain that I inflict on other people. I think that for me comes with uh, some time in sobriety where I can stand back and I can kind of empathetically look at the lives of other people who love me but eventually the pain of of becoming that Mm. which i did not intend to become because you know i don't know about you but i didn't start out using just to become a fucking addict right Right. like i like i i started out using to to find some relief
1: yeah and and eventually
0: eventually it became a burden and so you know one of the things that that Courtney talks about in her story is the loss of her brother. Mm. And we'll get into that. But, but, you know, experiencing loss on any level can be a huge stepping stone. You know, we've heard it so many times in so many different ways, but basically for, for us to change the, the pain of remaining the same has to become greater than the fear of change. Right. So Mm -hmm. when we remain the same or get worse, eventually we become willing to try something different. And, and whatever that looks like, it seems like uh, something will come along again, right? This pain will come in. We'll experience the same thing in life again. Like here you are going in and, and having another free breakfast, feeling like, because I've done that, right? feeling like I'm going to get caught and i'm going to be embarrassed and somebody's going to say something and it's going to make a scene and i'm not going to like how that feels and and then all of a sudden i'll remember like uh when you're sober that kind of stuff doesn't happen yeah <laughs> like, like like where did that come from well that that came from somebody else's story that i heard while i was in one of those situations where i was forced to stay clean long enough to hear about thinking errors right like that was the the message of hope came from one of those moments where i was in handcuffs and and i went to a jail meeting yeah and and somebody shared something that i fucking forgot about because i went back out after that and i forgot everything that they shared until i was in this moment of pain and i and and they said you know there is hope even when you may not think so that came from that place of somebody bringing that to me and so those moments where we learn these things pop back up Mm -hmm. they pop back up and it like we were saying before every one of those counts because something whether consciously or subconsciously could i know it did for me absolutely but could for anybody stick with you for a long period of time And, and it can be used at the most unexpected moments
1: yeah yeah Absolutely. Do you remember the first time that you were introduced to a recovery community or Aubrey. or or people in um and I'm asking both of you, but Aubrey, I I you you're looking at me very um intensely, so I'll ask you first. <laughs> Aubrey, do you remember <laughs> the first time that you you because I remember like for me, I remember um, you know, meeting people that were, first of all, going through what I was going through, mm-hmm. trying to get clean, realizing that they couldn't do it alone and, and and needing help. But then I also met people who had already done that. Right. And who were sober and living a sober way of life. And it was like, oh, there's this whole other world. Yeah. You know, especially when you come from being in the thick of it to, the exact opposite. Do you remember that for you?
2: Um, the first time I met somebody that was in the recovery world, um, he my mom had actually set up a meeting for me to meet with him. And he was just some guy that was going to AA from a mutual friend of hers. And so she set me up to go and talk to him to just as like Please help her, you know, and I spoke to him and he told me his whole story and he was like, you can tell me your story, but you don't have to. And there was a lot of stuff that I related to in his story, Mm -hmm. like um, the way of thinking or the way that he would lie all the time about stuff that didn't even matter. Right. That I related to that so much. Mm -hmm. And so those really resonated with me through my addiction. Unfortunately, after talking to him, I went right back out. I didn't like I was like, "Okay, great meeting I'm going to go back to my other yeah. life. Like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but there still were things that stuck with me that he talked to me about that day. And I don't think his purpose to in talking to me that day was to save me. Right. Like, it wasn't to save me. But there were things that he did share with me that I carried with me until I eventually got sober. Um, but that wasn't until about a year later. Sure. Um, but that was definitely my first time having any introduction to the recovery world whatsoever.
1: Yeah, but that's, I mean, and, and that's beautiful. That's exactly what we're talking about, right? Is like those moments where, um, yeah. because maybe something that he said to you, um, even though you did go back out, maybe it popped into your head a year later. We were like, holy shit, that dude is exactly right. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what he went through. That's where I'm at now. And, and how did I get here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and that's why, there's there's these moments where even though you went back out even though you know i didn't maybe get sober from those first instances it still played a role Mm -hmm. it still played a role willie what about for you time um yeah i
0: gosh it's it it seriously feels like recovery and alcoholism has always been there um i would say like my first experience with a recovery setting is when my sister and my dad were both in treatment at the same time. And, and we had to go to, uh, a family week.
1: And they were just and, in there for alcohol or,
0: um, uh, now my, si- my sister's fuck, they were both fucked up. Like, I don't remember why my dad was in there. I don't think either one of them ever did just alcohol, but you know, my sister had a lot of problems. She got into a lot of trouble and, and we would try family counseling and stuff like that. But, um, I, I remember I had a friend, his name was Gary and he actually ended up dying in a car wreck due to a DUI um, later on in life. But uh, like his parents were the example of the alcoholic for, mm. for me in my life um, because uh, his dad was a retired cop and I, I don't know what his mom did, but they were both 100% daily drinking alcoholics mm. and and he would get so frustrated with them leaving the house because they were, they were never around. And so we, we would have free reign over his house. And I didn't understand where he was coming from with his anger about his parents being gone. You were like, this it, is awesome. This is fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right? This is like great. we would steal their beer and, and all this stuff. <laughs> and then when my dad went into treatment, um, I was 10 years old and I didn't understand what was going on. Right. And then by the time D.A.R.E. came into the school, you know, I was about 12 years old, sixth grade. I think you're 11 or 12 in sixth grade. And um, by that time, between age 10 and age 12, I had already picked up uh, smoking, Mm -hmm. drinking, smoking pot and hiding that stuff. Now, the only thing that D.A.R.E. really taught me as far as consequences go was that you could go to jail. Right. And, and I didn't want to go to jail because I was afraid that would fuck up the party. And so I was probably um, 15 when I got sent to juvie uh, all the way across the other side of the state. I went to the most locked up facility for use in Wyoming for a um, psych evaluation because we broke into a bar uh, twice <laughs> and they got caught the second time. Right. And, um, that was probably the first place that, uh, we worked on, um, alcohol and drug use in the way that it affects the mind. Mm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so 15 really was the first time that, that I started hearing that my problem might be chemical related. Like
1: actually hearing it, right? Yeah. Like,
0: like, like you're doing this behavior because of this thing. And if you don't do this thing, then you may not have this behavior. Now fast forward to where I'm at now. I still have a lot of temptation. Yeah. Right? There's still just because I'm sober, I still have a lot of those those easy way out temptations. For booze? No no, for like 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 how much better would would it be if I didn't have to pay for gas? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like I'm fucking still gas, you know. What I'm a carpenter. How much better would it be if I didn't have to spend $600 on a new tool when I could just find some fucking tweaker or, you know, heroin addict somewhere and be like going to going to Home Depot right there. I'll give you a hundred dollar bill if you bring me out this specific saw. Like like those type of temptations, because those are all behaviors that I learned in the drug. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, I have to like like I didn't I didn't get perfect because I got sober. Um, so the temptations are still there, but I don't I don't know what that has to do with your question, but No 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 at no. some I, point <laughs> what was I talking about, Aubrey. I started thinking like what the fuck was Cameron's question? Why am I saying
1: this? <laughs> Willie, shut up. Classic Willie right yeah. there. he shut up. That's when my head started saying, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just uh I just I just remember, you know, that moment for me, like so I'm And here's the thing is like, again, we're talking about stepping stones, right? So, um, I went to counseling, what what kind of counseling, like a one-on-one counselor specifically for now I had seen therapists like growing up, which, which is really weird to think about now because because I'm like, you had ADD, like uh, like I had, I had ADD, but it's like, I think that there was enough, um, maybe I don't want to say like depression, but I think maybe there was enough um, negative thinking that my parents sort of recognized it. Right. And they were like, we should maybe get you in to talk somebody, to somebody. Talk, talk to somebody. Right. And so, you know, from that point it was like, I was broken, you know? Um, yeah. Good,
0: good, good kids don't go to counseling. Yeah. Yeah. well, kids don't
1: Exactly. Like, yeah. and, and that wasn't any of their doing that was just my own thinking. Like, Oh shit, I got to go to counseling there must be something wrong with me. Right. Um, I think hopefully like the stigma today is much better than it was then, but, um, anyway, so, so I had been to a counselor before when the drugs and alcohol became a problem, and I came clean with my family. Um, that was sort of the battle plan. It was like, we're gonna get you in to talk to a counselor, and you're gonna see him a couple days a week. And it was like, cool, yeah, that sounds great, you know. Um, and I did that, and he suggested that I go to some AA meetings. Um, and you know, I went to one or maybe two. And it was like, okay, I mean, these people aren't really for me. Like, I don't think, you know, that's my scene or whatever. Um, and then, and then, things with the counselor. I just started lying to the counselor, <laughs> <laughs> right? There. Yeah, it's like I'm not. I'm just. I'm being dishonest, but I'm checking all the boxes so that everybody around me thinks that I'm I'm doing well. Um, and, and then things get bad enough, and they get. like evidence for myself. Like I can see the problems now, like everybody around me could see it, but now it's like very clear to me, right? Like this is bad. Um, and I don't know how to get through the next day, you know? And, uh, and that was when like, I, you know, was, was fortunate enough to, to go to a treatment facility, um, at the behest of a loved one. Um, and that is when like, I saw like I'm not alone. Um, there are other people around me and, and it looks like by, by the looks of it, that there are a lot of people who struggle the way that I, I struggle. And, and some of these people look really happy, you know? And that was such a revelation for me. It's like, okay, like fuck. I mean, maybe, maybe if they can do it, I can do it, you know? And like, maybe it won't be so bad because I think that was the fear is like, life's going to be so boring. Yeah. You know, life's going to be so boring if I don't do this, but also like, how the fuck am I going to keep doing this? Like life is shit. It was just, just you, you guys get it. All right. Like the, just the contradicting, um, cunning, baffling and powerful nature of the disease. Um, so that was a moment for me where I really just, I, I can just remember it, you know, and I can feel it where it was just like, this this whole new world, like I said, like this whole new world was opened for me, and it was just like, there is another way of life, you know. That wasn't the moment I got sober, mind you, but everything from that point forward had this this recovery undertone. Like I knew it was possible. Like yeah. I knew that that it could be done, and I knew there was this other way of life, and it just made every every uh, attempt. Well, uh, every every time that I used or drank after that was just
2: awful. Yeah, felt you know what I mean. A little more guilty. Yeah, I felt a little more shameful. It's
1: Like just what? I mean, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Why? Why is this still a thing? You know. Um, yeah. You know. So I think it's all it's all a part of the what, process. What was
0: your experience like? Like when he mentioned. When he mentioned uh, he started lying to the counselor, I heard you kind of identify with that. Like, did did you have counseling yeah. as a kid? Like, or not as, as a, a kid? Adult?
2: I still go to therapy, but I did. I went to a therapist all while I was using. So I started using in May, and I started going to a counselor in November. So all the while. That was shortly after I had lost my job and I was lying to my family saying I'm not using anymore, like I just got fired from my job, this is so embarrassing, I'm not using meth anymore, you caught me, I'm a meth addict, I'm not using. So they got me into therapy, um, more so for my anxiety and depression that mm, I was dealing with at right. the time. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I like used therapy for, was I was like, I'm only going for my anxiety, I'm only going for my depression, sure. I'm only going. and. Everything that we would work through, you know, I remember working through anger, like extreme anger. And I was like, why is this happening to me? Like, why do I get so angry? And she would give me all of these solutions and all of these reasons as for why I was angry when... I was still leaving out the fact that I was using meth <laughs> so often throughout the day yeah. where in my mind, I was like, I know the reason I'm so angry because I'm a meth addict. Like that's why I'm angry. Maybe so, if that guy would have had my shit, yeah, I, exactly. I wouldn't be so angry. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I went to therapy all through my addiction. I didn't use it correctly because I was yep. trying to fix problems that weren't problems. You know, mm-hmm. I knew what the problem was, but I was acting as though it was something completely different. So,
1: yeah. And it's funny too, because as you were talking about it, there were so many times where I wanted to pin what was happening because of my drinking and using on depression and anxiety. Yes, Right. Like where it was like, you guys don't get it. I'm just so depressed. Yes. Which, which I mean, which is true. And I'm not saying that it's not like, I still struggle with that, you know, today, like I still have depression and anxiety and, and, and that was for sure something that I was struggling with then, but it was all exacerbated like by my drinking and using.
2: Exactly. Like, there
1: was no, like I wasn't giving myself a fair shake with any of that stuff. Like no. while I'm out there running and gunning, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I, I don't know. I think that it's it's a it's an easy thing to do when we're when we're in the thick of it is just is just try and try and mask it with, with another element that we can address a little yeah. more. Like yeah. well maybe if it's just my anxiety and depression then the right combination of meds will make me feel better. Yeah. Right.
2: Well deep down I knew like the meth was the problem but I was trying to blame everything else. Mm -hmm. Like I'd had this abusive ex and it was his fault that I was feeling this way. I'm super anxious all the time and it's my anxiety's fault that I feel this way. I'm super sad and lonely and that's why I feel this way. Like I never, it took me a long time, although I knew I was an addict, it took me a long time to admit that because I was an addict, that's why all of these things were happening. Mm -hmm. That's why all of these things were affecting me the way that they were yeah
1: willie you never had any of that oh yeah i had a lot of that
0: (laughs) and a lot of that you know one of the things that's that's coming to mind now is you know after all this like like okay so so like i had all these experiences that led up to a decision that i made finally uh willingness after being broken enough to go okay let's get one day right and and i got one day sober and And throughout that, uh, you know, there continues to be these, these moments of clarity, these stepping stones that, that the further, the further I get away from the last time I used, uh, the more sobriety time I have. But, but on top of that, like the more I'm, I'm able to see the, the information that I was given through all of those stepping stones and how I can use it in my sobriety today, because as I move through my life, uh, and I have a lot more clarity about how sick I really was because that's what I was. Let's, let's be honest. Like Mm -hmm. I was, I was a sick person trying to be well, not knowing how to do that. Um, I'm able to take the information that you guys give me, you know, and I get it from you and I get it from you and I get it from, from Courtney and their experiences, your guys' experiences, everybody's experiences. And I can look at how my thinking today can take me one of a couple different directions and i can use my experiences with what i learned in my addiction what i've learned through my sobriety to try to create on a daily basis the most um fulfilling day one day at a time right right like like all of this stuff everything that that brought me up to sobriety i think about right and i think about coming to make a decision on that fateful day the first 24 hours where it was like today i have to stay sober and i'm willing to do whatever it takes to get here and all the information and all the experiences and all the conversations and all the posters and all the fucking circles that i sat in and all the writing that i did it all it all added up to this moment of strength where where it comes together in this like beautiful salad of willingness like all of a sudden like from the time i opened my eyes to the time i opened my eyes the next day i stayed sober right and and through all of that you know it matters mm-hmm. it fucking matters because at the end of the day for me and i know for you and i know for you too you guys on both sides so, people love me right people yeah. want me in their lives not because of what I can give them, but because of how I make them feel. And and it's, it's so important for us and for everybody that's listening to this show to remember that there's people out there that love us for the way that, that we make them feel. And so, like, sobriety is just huge for me, man. And what I do with all that stuff is just so important to remember where I came from, how I got to where I was at the the f- the failed attempts and what i know will happen if mm. if i don't stay on top of this sobriety thing.
1: Right, right.
2: I also think it's important to remember where you're going too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The journey's not over yet. Mm-hmm.
1: Haven't arrived. Yeah. It is very important. Good point. Yeah, and what what we you know had talked about in the last episode is that sobriety is just the beginning. So we have all these stepping stones to sobriety. But then, you know, when we look at the bigger picture about, you know, the stepping stones of our journey to personal development, oftentimes sobriety is, is somewhere in the middle of that path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a great, uh, it's a great way to segue into Courtney's story because she's on that path herself. Yeah. Um, as you guys will hear, she, uh, she has quite a, quite a bit to, uh, to offer, um, as far as, uh, experience with her story so yeah i think this is probably a good time to let everybody hear it let's do it what you think i'm ready yeah do it this week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash coffee Brainwashed Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwashed Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at The Other Side of the island. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Into Your Amigo, Brainwashed Coffee has your back no matter what you're poisoning. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code Side at BrainwashCoffeeCo.com. Clean your bean with Brainwashed. And without further ado, here is this week's War Story.
3: Hi, my name is Courtney and I used to be a tweaker junkie. As long as I can remember, I wanted to be somebody else. I was always trying to color within the lines of a portrait of myself that I didn't even create, continually feeling guilty about who I was, what I felt, what I liked, what I believed. And so I pretended the real me away and drugs made that even more possible. I used drugs for just under two decades of my 36 years of life. In the beginning, I remember setting rules for myself that I'd never do pills, that I'd never put drugs in my nose, that I'd never do math, that I'd never do heroin or use needles, and that I'd never, ever be without my kid. I broke every single rule I'd ever set for myself, and if you're breaking your own rules, I learned that everything else is up for destruction. I allowed my drug addiction to keep me in the worst and most delusional mindsets around some of the worst humans I'd ever known and ultimately some of the most profoundly traumatic environments that I've ever or will ever experience. I became the worst possible version of myself that will ever exist. I didn't have to face what I'd really become if I was using. The drugs would temporarily silence the noise of reality so long as I was high. The drugs would alleviate me of that soul-rattling guilt of not being an everyday mom anymore. I would choose the delusion, I would chase that delusion by chasing the highs that would allow me to continue outrunning myself, that would allow me to continue to avoid facing what I'd allowed my life to be reduced to. I used to sit back and judge women who would be strung out around their kids and then lose their kids by continuing to choose drugs. And then I became that woman. I'm no longer that woman today. In this upcoming January, I will have five years of freedom under my belt. During the worst of my addiction, my amazing big brother, my only brother, was diagnosed with cancer. For several years, all he'd ever asked of me was to get sober for my daughter. After his health began declining in 2017, he made it very clear to me that he was in fact dying first. That we couldn't argue with cancer. That he needed me to get sober and to not make our mother lose us folks. It's the only thing he'd ever asked of me in all my life. And I was always promising Sean that I'd deliver. His name was Sean Manise, And Sean was extraordinary as he lay in Florida, rapidly deteriorating in a hospice room at 33 years old, surrounded by his loved ones. I was holed up in my bathroom in West Virginia, deteriorating from my addiction with my dogs, with my dogs. My guardian angel best friend, Tina Stefan brought me to Florida to see him in hospice a month before he passed. And I was so dope sick for that goodbye. My beloved brother departed this world on January 17th of 2017. I moved to Florida with our Auntie Sue into her house that winter to get a clean sleep. Then on January 27th of 2018, I finally delivered on the promise I made to my brother. Sean never got to see me as I am today, which is something that will always break my heart. But I believe that my brother is proud of me. His faith in me and my tribe's faith in me is something I will forever carry. Sometimes trauma leads us into using And sometimes trauma can also lead us out. Delivering on that promise became the priority for me. And I wonder if where he is. He knows how vital he has been to my becoming the human that I am today. I miss my brother. My recovery process may not look like yours. And many people have been more than willing to judge my journey to achieving peace in my life due to the methods that I've chosen. Over many years, I've been on and off sickening amounts of psych drugs. I was a frequent flyer at psych wards. I've been incarcerated. I've tried methadone, subs, clinics, and rehabs. And while each experience really did play a major role in my eventual freedom The method that I solely sourced from January 2018 on has been from cannabis. I use THC, CBD, CBN, and also CBG, which aren't really discussed openly as an alternative solution just yet. I had no idea how much these molecules could help someone like me, stumbling literally into accountability and finally comprehending gratitude has completely transformed my life. And looking back, it's crystal clear that those were things that I never did have during my years of using. I never believed anybody who would say, life is better without drugs. I couldn't digest that a life being forced into feeling feelings could be anything but cruel and unusual torture mentally. The last thing I wanted to hear was shit like that. Now, all these years later, I look back at the woman who I used to be and I watch the footage at the condition I was in and I just wanna hug her. I wanna apologize to her and tell her, to those people were right. Life really is better over here with your tribe, your kids and your peace and there is nothing that will ever mean more to you than that. Man, sorry. That's all I got. (laughs) You know, I think that people from the outside don't often understand that maybe in the beginning, it's about getting high. And you think, oh, there's no way I'm gonna be like those people. You know, those people that need it. And it's like, yeah, it does happen. It really does. And it really does steal your soul. And like, I, I remember hearing growing up, heroin was bad. We all knew that. We all knew that these things were bad. But when you're, when you're fractured, and you're just trying to shut it off. You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't know coping skills and I didn't know so much that I know now. And I find myself being so thankful, sad of course, but so thankful for my drug addiction because what I've learned, you can't read in a book. And I think I'm a better person because of it. (laughs) Certainly more aware, Um, but wow, that was hard for me to read. I'm sorry for crying again. (laughs) That it's the fight of your life for your life. But there's a grind about addicts that they don't realize can be harnessed to get out of it. And I would have never known it. If you think about how an addict grinds for each high. They make it happen. We make it happen, you know? No matter what it is, like, we get that high. That's how we end up having years of drug use under our belt. Like, it's, it's not that we don't have the grind. Um, I would like people to know that every attempt matters. You know, I would go to a rehab. My, my family would say, it was, you know, failed trip because I wouldn't stay sober. Or I'd go to jail, get out, be cool for a little bit. And you know, so it was a failed. It was it was all these things that people thought was me failing, but I, it was me still trying, trying and failing. But each of those times mattered so much in my rebuild. I took pieces of it with me. I keep pieces of it with me. Like I went to a rehab in Charleston, West Virginia, and this man there put my addiction in a nutshell, and he said, "You have to remember." what you give the power to feed you, you give the power to starve you. And I was just kind of like, huh. And he told me that a setback was just a setup for a comeback. That that as long as you're breathing, you always can have the comeback. Of course, you don't believe it when someone's telling you that. You're like, "Eh, some quote, right? But it ends up being true. People were so right. I just wish that I would have considered that they were telling me the truth. Um, I was really social for a long time. And I don't know, it's something about that that ran its course and, and left with the drugs. Like I have my certain friends that mostly live in different states. I'm um, so, I don't have much of a social life. I'm so hyper-focused on family because I spent so much time running from them. Um, um, my boyfriend, he's great. He's from the West Coast and he saw something in me before I did. And he, you know, I told him that I was just this ridiculous former junkie and he didn't care. He got to know me and has told me it was really him that kept telling me I should share it. And me being like, no, I'm putting that on the internet. (laughs) Um, He's very supportive. My life consists of, I wake up and I still can't believe I'm here. I still can't. Every day I wake up and I'm just like, I can't believe I live here. I'm in Florida, like five miles from the beach. You know, um, the same dog that I had throughout my entire opiate and meth addiction, I still have him. So, you know, I'm always with him and and our other dogs. Um, I read an embarrassing amount of self-help books and watch a shocking amount of NCIS and sit around crying, watching America's Got Talent, really. (laughs) But as far as professionally goes, um, I'm lucky enough that while my son is little, I get to be home. But I was taking courses through the National Genealogical Society, uh, learning about family research. I'm like, a am a nerd about about it. I love to look at people's families and get, ethnicity test done. I've done it with like six companies. It's very cool. Um, You guys have a lot of that out there in Utah. I'm pretty sure that's where Ancestry is based is is, is out there. But um, I do that a little bit on the side, nothing that earns money. Um, But I plan to go back to school. I recently consolidated all my loans from four more failed attempts at college so I could go back. I'm just going to go back for like accounting, something that I could just like do um, from home because with that life kind of did make me a hermit. I'm a little, uh, definitely more introverted than I ever knew that I could be. Um, but I have a wonderful life, a life that I don't oftentimes know that I deserve. I get caught up in, do I deserve this? Or you know, do I appreciate, like it's a weird give and take with this, but I'm so thankful for the life I have today. I never knew that it, that it could be like this. I really didn't, the court is the same username on tiktok instagram and facebook i have some very few full clips of some of that footage on youtube but it's really just kind of a mess i'm just recently learn, learning how to put it together but the courtnologist is the best way on any of those platforms
1: dude i love that yeah. i i also could not imagine it being this good you know like i i think that that's the perfect way to uh to to think you know i like her, you know, I can't regret what has happened to me because I wouldn't be here yeah. if yeah. if if none of that had happened. So
0: it's, yeah, um, it's hard to, it's hard to come back from a story like that where it's so emotional and yeah, powerful, like powerful.
1: Super great story. Yeah. Thank was, you. That was amazing. There was a lot of uh, her story, you know, she, that I identified with, she talked about, you know, the death of her, her brother and I too had, um, a, uh, a relative who I was really close with who died of cancer, and and having gone through that was uh, was was really rough. There was uh, a moment, and I know I'm I'm sure um, I could talk to her about this for for hours, but using through that was so hard for me. Like when I looked back, I hated myself for it. You know, um, especially because I. <laughs> I've said it on this show before, so it's not any secret, but I was getting, you know, pain pills from him, you know, and that's kind of how I got into that world. And so I would always tell myself, like, I'm going to go over there and I'm just going to hang out with him. Like, you know, like, and then I would go over there and I would inevitably ask him for pain pills. And I just felt like it tainted, you know, everything towards the end. And so there was definitely, like, a lot I had to work through, Um, you know, once I got sober. To kind of forgive myself for that so I'm totally yeah. totally identified with that part of her story thank you Courtney for sharing yeah. that Very powerful what do you think
2: I thought it was good I liked how she talked about being grateful for her story as well um or for her addiction I guess because I feel the same way I'm a great I'm grateful for my addiction um she said she was grateful but she was sad and I kind of feel like that too that I'm grateful for what I went through. I'm grateful for what I've experienced and I'm grateful for where it's got me to today. But I also am kind of sad a little bit that I had to experience those things. Like they weren't fun things, you know, but I still am grateful for the experience that I did have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I <clears throat> I can identify like with w- what she was talking about with crossing that line every time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be this kind of addict. Like I'm only going to do these things and then judging, you know, like what she said was, know she would judge women that that lost their kids and then everything everything that she judged she became yeah and Mm -hmm. and you know she talked about being a fractured person and 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 that's what that's really what i i think i was was i was just a broken person um i didn't know how to accept love i didn't know how to love myself i didn't know how to take care of myself i didn't know what self-care was i didn't know what uh, you know, I had this, this idea that I had to suffer in order to be of any type of value or, and it was all at a real subconscious level, you mm-hmm. know, because, uh, I also used, um, you know, drugs to validate myself, to make sure people were around. Like I never wanted to be alone, but I was always a fucking alone and, and just going through all that stuff. And then listening to her progression of like what she was talking about, how, how, how how you know these different experiences all led up to where she was finally able to become the woman that that, that her brother wished that she could be you know mm. and now she is that person and and i can really identify with that there's nobody in my life there's nobody dead or alive that i've ever come across that wishes i was still out there right there's nobody out there that's like fuck man be so much better if he was out here you know and and i'm included in that and so you know having this life like she was talking about where i'm present for my children and i'm, I'm present for my life and i have people in my life that care about me and i'm able to accept the love of the people mm-hmm. in my life like i it's so huge for us
1: yeah i and love it's it it's a, it's a learned thing right like it's not something that we can often do like right off the bat and and the first thing i had to learn in order to get to that place where I could accept love was, you know, how to get and stay sober. Um, and that was, uh, and that's, you yeah. know, kind of what we're talking about here today is just all those things that led up to that for me. Yeah. Um, and for us. And I think that, you know, we all find ourselves in different parts of that journey. Um, and you know, it takes what it takes to get us sober, but, um, you know, all those things that got us here, um, were not in vain. All right. And so, if you're somebody that's listening to this or watching this, and you are currently finding yourself struggling, just remember that um, even in the struggle, there is hope. So, absolutely,
2: yeah, there's hope, and there's people that care. Yep, there's always people who care.
0: There, there really is, even if there's nobody in your family that, mm-hmm. that cares. There, I care.
2: We mm-hmm. care.
1: Yeah, I care.
0: Yeah, I care about Courtney, and and for those of you, you know, she gives her socials. Go check it out because. If you haven't seen her social media, um, she has such good content of herself using versus clean. Like she has footage of her when she was super strung out and sick and picked apart and up for days and and having problems and wanting to change. There's actual footage of her from before mm-hmm. and her now, yeah. and, and you know she's able to put those on. Uh, know reels and stories in a, in a manner that really shows what addiction looked like for her versus what sobriety looks like for her and it's just it's it's a beautiful way of doing it and i i really appreciate her boyfriend as she said you know uh suggesting that she do that because i know i get a lot out of it and, and everybody that i show her content to gets a lot out of it yeah. Yeah. so her having the you know the bravery you having the bravery to be able to put that out there and share that with people it's t- it's touching people's lives in a way
1: that that you know like none of us could probably know that's mm-hmm. right absolutely yeah yeah so thank you courtney uh for sharing your story and and you're sharing your journey
0: yeah yeah and your tattoos and your dogs and yeah your all comedy the things. Your all all comedy the things. all the things i love it
1: yep good stuff what do you yeah. think willie
0: I think that it's been an interesting journey and I think that there will be more revealed, uh, thankfully.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, hopefully if all all things go according to plan. Yeah. What about you, Aubrey? How you feel after all that? Great.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me back.
1: Oh, we're so glad you came. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Did you work on your sign off? No. Well, let's try it. We're ready. (laughs) Spontaneously. We're going to call this episode done. Um, Rylan, yeah. thank you. Willie, thanks for coming out. Thanks for letting me come back. Aubrey, again, thank <laughs> thanks you. Thanks for having me. And everybody listening and watching, thank you for supporting the show. Remember, you are worth the work. We'll see it on the other side.
2: Is that better?
1: Shooter. I mean, the listening people don't get it. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.